It's really, really good to be with you guys at City Church this morning. City Church Cottam. I've just come from uh, City Church Bradley Stoke. Uh, if you haven't met me, my name's Jamie. I lead the site up in Bradley Stoke, so it's great to uh, make the occasional foray down here to, uh, to Cottam and, and come and see you guys. Um, if you've got your Bible with you or your phone or whatever's your preferred um, device of choice, then do you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6? And uh, while you're finding that, I'll tell you about my paintballing exploits. So a couple of years ago, I was, um, I was up with a group of friends uh, in the woods somewhere in North Wales. I couldn't tell you where it was. Uh, doing some paintballing for my mate Stagdu. And um, I don't know if you've done any paintballing before, but the kind of typical, we were playing the kind of typical game that you play. We were split into two teams at opposite ends of the forest. And uh, it was basically a glorified game of capture the flag with guns and mess. Um, so you kind of had to make this foray into the enemy's kind of base area and then retrieve the, it wasn't a flag, I can't remember what it was, and then bring it back into your own base. And um, this was made somewhat easier for my team by the fact that uh, we had a guy who was a soldier. In fact, he was a captain in the British Army. Uh, so he would take us aside for a couple of minutes before the beginning of each game, and he could look out with his expert eye over the terrain and see all the various different levels and where the trees were and everything else. And he said, right, you three go this side, you three hide behind this rock. And he gave us all of these sort of very professional army-sounding signals and everything. And honestly, we absolutely decimated the other team every single time. Because actually, we had a captain on our team. And the Bible describes Jesus as the captain of our faith. If you've been around at City Church for the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been looking at this series on a passage in Scripture we sometimes lovingly call the armor of God. And really what we've been doing is we've been listening to what Jesus, the captain of our faith, says about how we can be victorious in this battle that we might call life. Because actually, what I learned that day is when you have a captain on your team and you listen to him and you do what he says, then victory is almost inevitable. Hopefully you found Ephesians chapter 6. So I'm going to read just one short verse, verse 16, which is the next kind of piece of armor that we've been looking at in this series on the armor of God. It says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We're going to look at a couple of things this morning. We're going to look at... uh, what it means to have this shield of faith. We're going to look at, well, what are these flaming darts, flaming arrows? That's obviously a metaphor for something. First of all, I just want to stop and, and, and pause for a moment and think about, well, what, what, what is the Bible talking about when it describes the evil one? Let's start with a question, okay. So, um, this has been rattling around in my head for the last couple of weeks as we've been going through this series. Is, is Satan, is the enemy that we've been talking about defeated already or not? Some yeses, some noes. Interesting question, isn't it? Because on, some hand, on one hand, we've been looking at all these scriptures about how he's been crushed under the feet of Jesus, how the principalities and powers have been disarmed, he's a defeated foe, and all of this kind of stuff. And then we look at other verses, and, and Andy's coming and saying, you know, you know, we need to be engaged in this battle, and we need to be armored, and he's like a, a, a roaring lion prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. And you think, well, hang on a minute, whoa, 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 what is it? It's like supermarkets, isn't it? They all claim to be the cheapest. You think, you can't all be the cheapest. I read in the newspaper recently, someone did some research, and apparently they are all the cheapest, just in different ways. So so as we begin to unpick, well, what what does it mean then? What do we mean when we say that Satan is is defeated? What, What can he not do now that he could do two and a bit thousand years ago? 
And really to start to unpick this, we need to understand the different arenas, if you like, in which Satan may oppose us. And the first one, I suppose, you might call a legal arena, the court of law, the heavenly court. Now, one of the main ways in which the Bible describes our enemy is as our accuser. Have you seen that a few times in in, in Scripture? He describes us as being the accuser of, of, of the brothers and sisters, us in Christ. And I think often... Often Christians get some interesting ideas when, when it comes to thinking about, about Satan being our accuser. I think often we kind of get this mental image of Satan whispering little thoughts in our ear, like, oh, do you remember what you did two and a half weeks ago? And, yeah, oh, you, but you feel guilty about that, don't you? And, and, and we think after a while, well, our self-esteem kind of whittles down and down, and we think, oh, well, I'm, I'm a rubbish, rubbish Christian. And Satan may do that. But actually, when the Bible talks about him being an accuser, we need to understand that that's actually a legal term that he's talking about. He's speaking about not the accusation coming at us, but the accusation is coming toward God about us. You can see this a number of times. We'll just look briefly, if you've got your Bible, keep your finger in Ephesians. We'll flick over to Revelation chapter 12. And um, John is writing, this is... (laughs) difficult timelines because it's future, but it will have happened. Never mind. The the, the point is this. So it says, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, or will have been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. So you see, the accusation about us is coming Godward. He's coming before God like you see in Job, like you see in Zechariah. He's coming before God uh, to the judge on the throne and saying, hey, I've been gathering evidence about this one and this one and City Church over here. And do you see these ones? And and look, God, at the sins they've committed. I feel like I'm rattling around a lot here. Am I, am I doing this right? Is that okay? Fine. Um, look, God, look according to what you have written in your own book, according to your own sense of justice, against your, according to your own sense of righteousness. You are obliged, God, to hold this person under condemnation. And of course, in a sense, he's right, isn't he? Because we've all done things that are desperately wrong, and we knew we're wrong, and we're desperately wicked. And the good news is that when Jesus came and died on the cross, when he shed his blood, he was shedding his blood as punishment. Not punishment for the sins that he committed, because he didn't commit any. But he was, in effect, he was trading places with us. He was substituting himself in our place. So he was shedding his blood, not for his own sins, but for, our, for ours. So that when we stand accused before the Father, actually we can walk away innocent. This is the way that Paul describes it in, in the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians disappeared when I was preaching this at Bradley Stoke. Here we go, I found it. It says this in verse 13. Uh, God has made you alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, that's all your sins, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So in other words, all this great list of all the wrong things that we've been done, this legal demand, this case against us, had been leveled at the Father. He said, Jesus, set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, in so doing, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's the demonic powers that we're going to be talking about in a moment. So actually, the good news is that, that Satan's whole legal apparatus, his whole grounds on which he can accuse us, has been utterly crushed and disarmed once and for all at the cross. And so our plea in the court of heaven is not guilty. It's not innocent. It's not innocent on the grounds of some kind of excuse that we've fabricated that we hope is going to wash somehow. Our plea is the blood of Jesus. It's that he died in our place. 
That is incredibly, incredibly good news. John describes it in, in, in 1 John chapter 2. He says that if anyone sins, we have an advocate before the Father. That's a legal word. It means our, our defense attorney, if you like. He's the one who's standing on the opposite side of the judge in heaven as we're, as we're being accused and opposed. And it is his own blood, John says, that provides the sacrifice for our sins. Following on that verse next in Revelation, he says, we're being accused day and night before God. This is probably what the devil's up to right now. But he says, says, they have conquered him, how? By the blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus, and the word of their testimony, their legal testimony. When we come before God and we say, Father, we confess what we've done, but thank you that Jesus has died in my place. So yes, in that sense, Satan has been completely crushed. His whole legal apparatus against us has been dismantled. It has been rendered impotent. And yet there's another arena in which Satan seeks to oppose us, which I suppose you might just call the the, the battlefield, or, or, or we might just call everyday life. And this is really the kind of arena that Paul is, is speaking into when he's going through Ephesians here. He talks about these, these fiery darts or fiery arrows, depending on whatever translation you're looking at, these temptations and trials and circumstances and all the things that he wants to bombard us with in everyday life. And he talked about this last week. He talked about, you know, the kind of, yeah, the head's been cut off, but there's, there's, there's still a lot of activities. He's, he's, he's writhing and, and, and working against us. And we need to understand that actually this is not forever. There will come a day when Satan is fully and finally defeated. After the return of Jesus, when Satan is consigned to hell, which is a a prison, if you like, which will prevent him from being able to operate against us and attack us in any way anymore. You know, hell is, is, is not the devil's home. It's not his base of operations. It is the prison to which he will one day be consigned. He doesn't want to go there. And so we look at all of these things, and we look at the enemy, and it's interesting, like, often when, when the Bible talks about Satan or the enemy, sometimes it's speaking about the actual person of Satan, right? But most often, he's kind of using it as an umbrella word to describe Satan and, and all of the evil powers under him. You know, sometimes we, we can be tempted to ascribe far too much power to him. You know, he is one being with very limited resources, there's eight billion of us. I doubt very much whether anybody in this room will ever have any dealings with the actual Satan. I mean, I suppose that's possible, but it's highly unlikely. What, what, he's, what the Bible often describes when he talks about the enemy in very general terms is, is Satan and, and, and all of those spirits working with him. We can see this in verse 12. I'm not going to spend ages unpacking this, but it's useful just to dip into look at some of the things that he's speaking about. He talks about four things. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We haven't got a problem with people. He says, but against, first of all, the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, meaning the kind of, the, you know, the, the, the cultural world systems, the, you know, the, the, the sort of society, the ways of thinking that we're a part of in our culture. And fourthly, against spiritual forces of evil. All of these different aspects of that demonic realm that are lined up underneath him seeking to oppose the will of God and the advance of the gospel. He talks about rulers, first of all. This, you know, th- th- that word really is talking about those that are chief in rank, those that are, that are highest in, in authority with others operating underneath them. You can see, you don't need to turn here now, for example, in, in the book of Daniel, Daniel and this other angel are referring to these, almost describes them as kind of spirit princes operating over vast areas. 
I don't know, some of you may know Chris Rowell. Chris was with us a couple of weeks ago. He used to be one of the elders in the Bradley Stokes site. And um, he was talking about his forthcoming move to Mozambique, to the Ebenezer Center, which is uh, part of Scott Marks's uh, part of New Frontiers, where they're, they're working to uh, work with uh, you know, ch- discipleship and church planting and, and, plant and starting small businesses amongst the poor. And uh, he was just recalling a story, uh, quite, a, quite a startling story, about uh, Andrew, one of the guys who first moved as part of that team to begin that work. And he had an encounter with, a, with apparently, I mean, you, you never really know who you're dealing with, but apparently a very high-ranking kind of spirit who, who said, Actually, if you want to come and plant churches in Mozambique, then I'm fine with that. If you want to come and do business work, starting business amongst the poor in Mozambique, I'm fine with that. If you want to come and plant churches and strengthen the poor, planting businesses in Mozambique, I have every issue with that, and I will oppose you every step of the way. He said it was, it was startling, but interestingly, Andrew's response to that was, well, when I heard that, then I knew that I was doing the right thing. <laughs> talks about authorities, those that, that stand behind those in governmental authority. I'm not going to go there today. Uh, talks about cosmic powers over the present darkness. Talking about the, 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 the ways of, of thinking in culture and society. The strongholds that we have in, in the way of thinking. Let's just look very quickly in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, um, verse 4. This, this concept of tearing down strongholds is often something that's referred to in, when we talk about spiritual warfare, although I've had some very funny ideas about it. Um, it says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Again, it's not people we have a problem with. It says they have divine power, prayer power, to destroy strongholds. We get all kinds of funny ideas about strongholds. Really, what that word means is exactly what the next verse says. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Dictionary says it's an argument or a reasoning relied upon to shore up a wrong opinion. And actually, the the enemy would love to work at the cultural level, at the societal level, and so into our society, ways of thinking and mindsets and strongholds, which actually are completely contrary to the word of God. It might be about the value of human life. It might be strongholds about sexuality. It might be different things which have a thin veneer of logic and a thin veneer of normality to those that have been deceived by it. But actually, it's completely contrary to what God reveals. And yet, if you travel to a different culture, a different part of the world, or or you went back in time in our own culture, you'd find these things are not really an issue. But, for example, a few hundred years ago, maybe... The, the, the notion that slavery was a, was a perfectly normal and acceptable right part of human society would have been a, would have been a stronghold that we have. Finally, he talks about... Uh, what does he talk about? He talks about... Um, I'm looking at the wrong verse. Spiritual forces of evil. Could literally be translated as evil spirits. You're kind of... Every day, I suppose, kind of demonic power that is seeking to work against individual people at an individual level. So you, you may, if you read through the stories of the Gospels of the early church, you see many instances where there's a manifestation of a particular demonic power that is working against an individual person at an individual level. There's, as it were, flaming darts coming against them. Maybe you've experienced something like that in your own life or in those around you. So we look at all these things and... And, and he says, actually, that the, the work that the enemy seeks to do in this arena of, of life is, is firing these, these, these fiery flames. You think, well, that's, that's got to be a metaphor for something. But Paul doesn't actually begin to expound at all what he's talking about. It's at times like this we need to remember, actually, we need to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. 
We need to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. So we look through the Scripture and say, well, in what ways can we see in the Bible that the enemy uses to oppose and to undercut the work of God in our lives? There's loads of things that we could think about. I'm just going to throw out a few today. The first could just be the realm of temptation. So the enemy would love to come and lead us into temptation. That's why Jesus told us not to pray about it. Actually, to bring us into a place where we're, where we're stumbling and we're tripping and doing, taking a course of action in our life which is leading us away from relationship in God. It might just be something that's circumstantial. That's just, you feel like you're being bombarded with harassment and trouble. I don't know if you, you ever hear Christians say something like, I really feel like I'm under spiritual attack at the moment. Now, sometimes, you know what, life is hard, and sometimes stuff just happens, and sometimes money is tight, and sometimes relationships are difficult, and sometimes work does suck, and there's nothing demonically inspired about it. (laughs) It's just life. But equally, we can't ignore the fact that the Bible does illustrate how the devil can work to oppose us in our ministry and our relationships. Paul said this. So he, he talked about this. He called it a messenger of Satan. It sounds rather drastic, but he says, he's just, just sit harassing me wherever I go. He says, it's like a thorn in my side. And then he goes on to, to kind of say well, what, what he meant by that. And he says, these are some of the things I experienced. He said, um, he, said he talked about weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, just feeling like everything was opposing the work that he was trying to do in, in spreading the gospel. Another, another kind of flaming dart, another way that the enemy can seek to undermine us might be by appearing to you. Maybe you've seen this or you've come across somebody who has where actually you know, with, with, our, with our physical or spiritual eyes or, 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 or our hearing that actually we begin to encounter something of the demonic that maybe just comes to bring, just comes to threaten or comes to lie or comes to try and strike fear into the heart of the person that is receiving it. I've seen that happen. Sometimes the flaming dart might just come in the, in the sense of a, of a lie or a deception. Just as, just as the enemy would love it at a, at a cultural level to kind of lead us into patterns of thinking which are contrary to God's word. So he would love for us as believers to begin to believe things that are false about ourselves or about God. Because actually if you add up everything that you believe about yourself and everything that you believe about God, that pretty much encompasses all of life, doesn't it? If you, if you have a rocky foundation about your identity and who God is, then everything will crumble underneath you. Amen. I don't really want to talk about the ne- <laughs> don't really want to talk about the next one. I was looking for a way to not include it in my sermon, but I feel like I really need to. That the Bible talks about actually how Satan will attempt and will sometimes succeed in, in, in coming and, 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 and stepping into the life of a person. The Bible uses some quite specific language about this. So, for example, before, just before Jesus died, it, it speaks about Judas. And the Bible says that Satan entered into Judas. I don't like that verse. I don't like... But I've seen things like this enough in the world to know that we can't ignore it. And sometimes this has a specific effect in the life of the person. It could, could be many and varied. Sometimes it might just be in the form of, of, of sickness, or illness, physical, mental illness. Which is not to say by any stretch of the imagination that all physical, mental, any kind of sickness is related to demonic factors. Some, you know, oftentimes it's just biological, it's just circumstantial. If you fall over and break your leg, you fall over and break your leg. But actually, Scripture talks about how sometimes these spiritual factors can be in play. So Jesus was in the synagogue one day, and he, 
And he, he, he came up to this lady who'd been severely ill for many, many, many years. And the Bible actually describes her as having had a spirit of infirmity. And the way Jesus dealt with that was by speaking to the spirit, commanding it to come out from her and go away. At which point she stood up straight and she was well for the first time in, I can't remember how many years. This can be the way. I could go on and on and on, but often we, you know, we come to things like this and we read passages like this in the Bible and we just think, oh, yeah, I came to church with some encouragement this morning. And we, you know, we look around at the world and we just think, oh, you know, can't we just not be in a battle? And I, I was chatting to a guy on the streets recently who's like, oh, I'm sort of trusting in God. I'm not really trusting in Jesus, but it just seems to me like the devil's winning. I look around at the world, it just seems to me like the devil's winning. And actually, when Paul is writing here, he's not writing to dent our faith. He's saying, listen, no, no, take heart. Take up your shield of faith. Take up all the armor because you have everything that you need has been equipped to you. As you put on Christ, so to speak, you have everything that you need to stand victorious in this life. Amen? So he says, take up. Take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith. I guess a good question is, well, what, what, what does it do? Like, what, what do I get from this? I visited my, my grandma yesterday. She's 83, and she'd just been given this Amazon Alexa thing. Anyone got one of those? She did not know. She sort of got it out of the box, and she was like, it's lovely. What does it do? <laughs> I guess a good question to ask, isn't it? Well, if we have a shield of faith, what can I expect of it? Faith is about expectation, isn't it? A, a person with faith is expecting that God is going to come through for them. Amen. So well, what, what can I expect of this? I, I, I love how actually the, the, the picture, the, the, the metaphor of the shield doesn't just turn up in Ephesians. Actually, it's in a number of places across the Bible, particularly in the Psalms. And if you're, if you're in community, oh, sorry, what do you call them? Small groups? Small groups. If you're in a small group this week, then we'll be looking at Psalm 91, which again kind of brings in this, this picture of the shield and lots of other metaphors, lots of other prophetic pictures, which talk about the supernatural covering of protection that God gives to those who trust in him. It talk, you know, that, that what talks about the shield, it talks about being under the shelter of his wings, talks about being under his stronghold. You know, there's, there's half a dozen or different kind of pictures which build up this understanding of how God protects us. So, so what can we expect then? I love how uh, Paul kind of sets our faith barometer pretty high. You know, so, well, where, where should I pitch my faith then? I've got this shield, thank you, I've got it out of the box, thank you very much. What, what can I expect then? He says... Um, in all circumstances, whatever's going on, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish, as completely put out, all the flaming darts of the evil one. So you can extinguish all of it. Sounds quite audacious, doesn't it? It's not quite as audacious as Psalm 91 when you read it, mind, but it, it sounds quite full on. But he's raising our faith level. He's saying, look, don't get down when you look at verse 12. Don't get down when you look at the world around you. Satan isn't winning. You have everything that you need in faith. What do we do? What do I do with it? I want to talk about three things. First of all, we need to engage. If you didn't get Andy's message from last week, go and download it. He spends a lot of time on this issue. He says, actually, well, I'm saying... Really, the biggest adversary that we have in the world of spiritual warfare, I believe, is not Satan and demons. I believe it's complacency and passivity. 
It's this, this idea, well, I've got my shield, thank you very much, I'm, I'm good, but it's just going to, you know, it's like an apple, it's just going to just work. That's not been my experience with apples, by the way, but anyway, it, it, it's just there, brilliant, thank you very much, I'm carrying on with my life. No, he says, no, we need to take up the shield of faith, you need to move it, you need to engage in the battle, like Andy was saying. Debbie, my wife, and a few of the guys from um, the Bradley Stokes site often serve in a, an outreach to the homeless on Saturday nights down in St. Paul's, out in the open air, and... It had been running for quite a few years before uh, I got there, we got there, and um, it used to have a reputation for actually being a very dangerous, very difficult kind of outreach, that there was a lot of hostility, there was a lot of violence, there was a lot of weaponry. There were a number of times when actually the whole operation had to be shut down on the spot on the night because of the kind of, because of some of the violence that was going on. And God gave wisdom to the team after some years about really changing the way that we pray. And so now what will happen, and we've been doing this for some years, is that we'll go down onto the street a good while before we do any kind of ministry or doing any kind of setting up, and we are praying specifically over that area. And we are, I'm not sure we ever really use this language, but what we're doing is we're praying the shield of faith, as it were, over this region. We're praying for God's peace to descend. We're praying that any and every evil spirit seeking to operate or bring disruption against the work of the gospel in that place is going to stop. And we're praying for the Spirit to come. And actually, there was an almost overnight change and transformation in what happened there. To my knowledge, there's never been since then a day when street life has had to be aborted on the spur of the moment. And people often comment what a peaceful and un, you know, uncharacteristically calm environment it is for this kind of outreach. And God is on the move. The second thing we need to know to do is to pray. You know, faith is like a muscle, isn't it? It's not something that develops in isolation or in passivity. Actually, it develops with use. And that means coming to God. It means talking with Him about these things. It means bringing them to Him, committing them to Him out loud in prayer. And sometimes it also means doing the same thing, actively resisting the devil, as James tells us to. You know, I pray this over my life often. I don't always use the shield metaphor. Sometimes I probably do. I'm saying... God, I I just want to claim, I want to pray, you're covering a protection over my family, over my kids, over my finances, over my my friendships, over every aspect of life. I'm not waiting till I feel like I'm under the cosh, till I feel like there's, you know, fiery darts coming at me before. I'm praying, God, let enemy access be denied over every aspect of my life. I've gotten a lot of good use out of that prayer over the years. It's something we, we don't need to be reticent, we don't need to hold back, we need to be proactive in taking our faith. Thirdly, we need to make use of the authority that we have. If you are here this morning and you have given your life to the Lord Jesus, if he is your Lord and your Savior, then you are a child of God. And he has given you the authority to use his name. Okay? His name will get you permission to do things you could never have done beforehand. When I was a teacher... I used to, at the end of a PE lesson, because typically I'd be out there by myself, I used to say to some of the kids, could you go and put all these footballs or whatever it is back in the PE cupboard for me, please? And they'd look at me like, because uh, they knew that no children were allowed to go in the PE cupboard because it's always a state. And I said, no, no, it's all right. If anyone asks, just tell them Mr. Finlay let you do it. And then off they went. Because they knew that I had given them the authority to use my name. At which point, everything changes. Whether you feel confident to do this, whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, whether you're a leader or not, whether you understand anything about this or not, you have the authority to speak to any and 
every evil spirit operating against you and command it to go in the name of Jesus. A few years ago, I was, with, I was in my early 20s. I was out on a team with some of the guys in the church out in Romania, in the, the church in Brinkovianca. I think Sheldon was probably there. I always seem to come up with a Sheldon story whenever I'm here. Sorry about that, mate. It's not about you. Don't worry. And um, we, had a, we were doing a, a, a youth conference, which was an annual thing. And um, we had... Well, we had quite a lot of powerful meetings. One particular powerful meeting where the fire of God really came, and we were just praying and, and ministering to people afterwards. And there was one person that we were praying for. Quickly, it quickly became apparent that she was manifesting a demon. She was writhing on the floor and beginning to speak demonically and everything else. And honestly, I had no earthly idea what to do. I'd sort of seen this kind of thing before, but I'd never been involved in it. I, I, I had really no, no confidence to pray. I was absolutely petrified. The person that was praying with me, who was also my, my translator, was also absolutely petrified. We also look around. We looked at Jeff, who was one of the elders at the time, who was busy praying off in the other corner. And I think, well, I don't know what to do. <laughs> but listen... We got stuck in and we prayed and we spoke to that thing in the name of Jesus and we commanded it to come out and it did because it had to. Because it's not about how confident I was. It doesn't about, doesn't, it's not about how petrified we were. It wasn't about whether we had much experience or anything else or how long we'd been a Christian for. It was about the authority that we had in Jesus. And actually this is not just true of that kind of you know, more flamboyant kind of drastic situation. Actually, if there are things in your lives, if you have reason to believe that there is a demonic assault coming against you, you have every right to use the name of Jesus to speak to that thing and to tell it to clear off in his name. Amen. Right. Uh, I think we should worship. Can I just invite the band to come back? Can I chat to you after? Is that all right? We'll do. We'll do some questions as well. I'll just We'll do it after. Um, in a moment, I'm just going to ask you, not yet, to stand. And um, if you kind of feel like, if you kind of feel like, actually, I feel like really things are coming against me. If you've reason to suspect, you know what, there are forces at work in my life, whether that's temptation, whether that's circumstantial, whether what, whatever that looks like for you, you feel like, actually, you know what, today, I need to raise my shield of faith. I need to come and I need to engage my faith and just activate that covering of protection over me. I need to bring these things before God and maybe I need to use the authority that I have and drive that thing out, break that stronghold today in the name of Jesus. Then we're going to do that. Okay? Shall we stand together?